Hey, how's everybody doing? Just give it a second for folks to start showing up to the stream. Hope you are all staying uh, warm or cool wherever you are. Uh, it's been a pretty nice day here, I have to say. It's been a little bit of a, of a nice one being able to walk outside and, and move around a little bit and feel a little cooped up. But uh, welcome. Uh, this is uh, another Griscom stream uh, for folks who are unfamiliar. These are a little bit more uh, laid back, a little bit less structured. I'll be taking questions from the chat, so get those going. Um, very excited to <laughs> uh, to hear what y'all are thinking about. Um, I got a couple of things I want to go through too, um, but be sure to hit us up with questions in the chat. And we always really appreciate uh, super chats too. Um, but yeah, let me think if there's any big announcements to make too. Going to be a really good show this week, uh, Thursday at eight. Um, I'm going to start to outline one of the one of the big uh, topics that Matt and I are going to be breaking down. Um, but uh, and we have some pretty exciting guests. Uh, I'm not able to announce yet. We want to make sure nothing falls through, and I look like an idiot. Um, but it should be a good show. So looking forward to looking forward to that Thursday at eight. Um, so definitely check that out. I mean, what's the top line thing here? Um, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm going to get to that question. One second. Easy 1977. I appreciate the uh, um, the super chat there. Um, Y'all have seen the, the opening uh, of this continuation of this ridiculousness uh, from the Biden administration negotiating down on these $2,000 checks. You know, they, they came down to 1400 and now we're even seeing that they're going to start putting more and more requirements on them. Um, I'll get to that in a second, but you know what, why don't we start with the, with this super chat here and sort of get into one of the main topics that I want to get into uh, this evening, uh, which is the question of, yeah, we need a new party, but what kind? Because it's one of those things where I understand if you're really coming from this from like an American politics perspective and like you're very new to like the progressive movement and you're recognizing, I mean, hell, what do we talk about more than anything at this point on left reckoning? It's just how terrible the Democratic Party is, how the Democratic Party doesn't stand up for working people, all those kind of things, right? So obviously, uh, the solution or what we need to start thinking about is what, how to get out of this trap of basically of, you know, hoping that the Democratic Party is one day going to, you know, grow a spine or stand up for working people. I'll tell you here right now, it won't. Um, so then, you know, the next logical step is we need a new party, which I'm very sympathetic to, but it's one of those things when most people say it, you know, it's like really easy to start rolling your eyes because it's like, yeah, but that's, that's hard, right? Like there's a lot of steps in between saying we need a new party and actually having it come into power and to do the kind of things that we need it uh, to be. So easy 1977 asked this question, Griscom, a new party, especially from a Marxist perspective can often have a Trotskyist feel. What are your thoughts? I think, um, you know, if you're in the chat still and you want to, you know, you don't have to send another super chat for me to get this, but if, if you could maybe specify what you mean by Trotskyist feel, um, you know, I'm just going to have to go off what my interpretation of, of that would, would mean, um, you know, and there's like, there's the Trotskyist, like, what are they? How would you, how would you describe uh, when people use the word Trotskyist, it usually means a lot of different things for folks. So like somebody who's more of like a, you know, a Stalinist might consider Trotskyists to be, you know, people who are just going to fracture, fracture off into creating multi, like, um, different sex. And you know, who's actually a very good person to talk to about this is, is Ben Burgess, uh, who's been around on the left for a very long time and has some very, very funny stories of all of these Trotskyist sex continuing, you know, to split and, and form new parties until basically everybody's in their own individual party. Um, and their 20 friends who initially were in their Trotskyist group uh, five years ago. Now everyone is in a party of one, right? Uh, very much, uh, you know, that's something that I feel like a lot of people were thinking about when they say Trotskyist feel. Um, and then I think the other one would be, you know, a kind of escapist, uh, you know, fantasy party. And obviously what we're talking about there um, 
you know, here is we're trying to be much more strategic and seriousness. Like I get, you know, red in the cheeks when I hear and, and think about the, you know, when I hear the Soviet national anthem and memes and things like that. Um, but, you know, I, I've learned as time has gone on that it's much more important uh, to start thinking strategically about how to win power instead of just trying to fulfill any kind of fantasies. Okay, here's the, yeah. Uh, what I mean is, this is from the super chat earlier. What I mean is, there are a ton of Trotskyist organizations, and almost all of them have that same idea: build a new international workers' party. But like you said, easier said than done. Not only is it easier said than done, um, but it's 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 a it's a fantasy and it's a fetish. And I use the word fetish in the sense of like you're putting a weight onto a concept, weight onto an action um, that is not necessarily there, right? So it's like just because you create the new workers party and you have like the good, you know, graphic design or anything like that, that doesn't mean that people are going to show up. The American left in particular is very good at creating, uh, you know, a million splinter left-wing parties. You know, there are a lot of Marxist socialist parties out here in the United States um, that have, you know, membership of like 15, 20 people, right. Or maybe a hundred if you're lucky. Um, and that's obviously not, um, you know, not what we're talking about. And this is why I'm, name the stream this because I want to start talking constructively about it. And we'll get in a little bit to some lessons from Leo Panish and Sam Gindin um, about what, you know, a party would need to be, what a part, how we should think about the question of the party. Um, because yeah, there's that kind of escapist idea that all we need is to create the real communist, the truest communist party. And then uh, we're going to be able to have victory, right? It's complete nonsense because what you have to, because the party is only a mechanism. It's only a mechanism and a vehicle, a vehicle for what? A mechanism of what? A mechanism um, that creates class consciousness, right? That develops class consciousness, that creates, that helps working people understand themselves as members of a class that's not just a social class or even an economic class, but is one that is fundamentally political. Uh, one that is political in the sense that it aims to fundamentally change the world that we live in um, and to replace the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie, the dictatorship of the bosses uh, with the rule of the people, right? That's the kind of, that's that's the, that's the what the goal of a party should be. Um, and if you misunderstand uh, the party as something that is just going to happen and then uh, you know everyone was going to develop that kind of consciousness, like if you just like create the name and then everyone's gonna flock to you, you've made a huge mistake because it actually is going to need to come out of organic, already existing social organizations. Um, that's, that is one of the biggest challenges and one of just the biggest pitfalls of people who very much, um, you know, want to change the world, want to participate in socialist politics. Um, but they, they make this kind of, this big jump from saying, okay, there's a problem. Uh, the society that we live is unjust. What we need is we need a strong working class movement to change that. Right. And instead of thinking about, okay, how do we build that working class movement? How do we build that consciousness? They just jump 10 steps forward and saying, okay, what we need is the, the new communist party, the true communist party of the United States. Right. Um, that's, that's a big mistake. So that's the, sort of an answer to your question. Um, but like, let's think about what the party question functionally means, right? <laughs> Someone said, start over. I just got here. I'll do my very best. Um, uh, so there's a, a book that Matt and I have been reading uh, this week. It's very short. Uh, if you aren't, I'm telling you, it's like extremely short, like 100 pages uh, by Leo Panich. And Sam Gindin, it came out uh, in January or February of 2020, right before the pandemic, uh, and it was The Socialist Challenge Today. Um, and it's sort of looking at this, the development of the left, particularly in the United States and in Europe over the past 10 years. Um, you know, um, so basically from, from the movements that came out of Occupy and out in reaction to the economic collapse that we, that we saw, uh, the financial crisis, to, um, to today, right? And what we saw there was a lot of really exciting moments. I mean, some of y'all might have come into, you know, left politics, you know, post Bernie or as part of Bernie, and that's fine. Um, but for folks who were, you know, lonely lefties in, you know, the 2015s, uh, there was that really exciting moment um, with Syriza, where people were like, wow, there's a left-wing socialist party coming into power in Europe. Um, and we had a lot of belief in what happened there. Um, and unfortunately, what happened with Syriza was a massive failure. 
um, that you saw this movement come into power in Greece in the middle of economic collapse and in the crisis of the European Union um, with all of this hope of a different way, of a left alternative, um, and it ends up collapsing on itself. And there are a lot of reasons for it. Um, but what Panitch and Ginnan uh, really try to drive, um, drive home is this idea that it's not a question of will. Like there's, there's this kind of narrative that, let, let me just put this uh, plainly for folks who are familiar with this. So Riza comes into power uh, on a ticket, basically running against austerity, running against what the European un Union was doing to Greece, which was basically strangleholding it um, and preventing it from breathing, preventing the working class from breathing, uh, which is harsh, harsh austerity in the middle of uh, economic crisis, forced austerity from the European Union. So this party comes into power, which is an anti-austerity party and also a party of the left. Syriza like means like the radical party of the left, right? It was the union of a lot of different left parties and left organizations, including anarchists and socialist ones, right? It was supposed to be the new politics. It was supposed to be the way out. And what ends up happening is through their negotiations with the European Union, primarily Germany, um, they're getting more and more pushback until uh, Germany essentially says that the European Union, um, but Germany essentially, um, is saying, no, you need to put ram through another round of harsh austerity against folks. Um, so what Syriza ends up doing is they hold a referendum, a national referendum on the question of this really horrific deal. And everybody goes out into the streets um, in against the deal they vote it down overwhelmingly oxy right um is the is the slogan right no right we vote no to this deal and then what ends up happening cyprus the uh the uh, pm uh you know leader of of syriza uh accepts the deal anyway right and it's it's a huge setback for the left but what a lot of left wing what a lot of left wingers um have done in the in the aftermath is misread the situation and sort of put it up to a question of will. It's like, oh, the leaders of Syriza like did not have like the tenacity to stand up against the nasty European Union. Right. And like who knows? Like they could have, you know, done something different. I'm not, I'm not saying that that tact what they did was right. I, I'm I'm critiquing it. Um, but what Panich and Gindin actually argue is much more radical. Um, and this is why they're thinkers who are very worthwhile. Um, to engage with because they criticize the kind of more like ultra leftist line on a lot of these uh, issues, but and people mistake them um, for being like sort of centrist or timid on these political questions, uh, which is not uh, which is not accurate at all. They're critiquing uh, these movements that come into power um, and these kind of like wish fulfillment politics is like, oh, if Cyprus only was a strong, tougher guy, right? Then Greece could have stood up and changed the changed the game. They make the argument that Syriza lost before they even really came into power, uh, because they're if you're trying to build democratic socialist politics, fundamentally you need to have the working class not just voting for you. And this is why our politics are so different from like the Democratic Party. Um, you you need to have um, not just people voting for you. But people actually engaging, not just in the political process, not just like, oh, run for office or whatever, like in understanding their actions as part of a political collective. What do we mean? Um, you know, the education minister of Syriza, this is a, a point that Panish and Ginnan make in the book, uh, the education minister of Syriza wanted to start um, using the schools around Greece as social hubs for working people to be places where communities could come together and start, you know, coming up with things that they need for their community, basically to be, you know, social hubs to build politics out of, right? A radical and very different and very socialist imagine, imagination of like how we can use those kind of social spaces to further politics, to build those kind of working class collective spaces that we need, right? A great idea coming from the left wing party. But since Syriza, once they came into power, they evacuated all of the cadres. Like they evacuated all of the people who were embedded in those communities and essentially just brought them into government, brought them into all of these offices. So there was actually a very uh, severe severance between Syriza, you know, the working party, the working class party, and the working class itself, right? That was a massive. Um, a massive mistake from Syriza. So when when uh, 
when Panish and Gindan say that it's incorrect to put so much weight onto like this idea that like Cyprus and Greece didn't have like the balls to stand up to, to Germany. Uh, they think that that's um, a mistake, an analytical mistake because take that argument further, right? What does that mean? If Cyprus stands up, then you can get the working people across the country through like strike action, all these kinds of things to change uh, the political calculus. Right, very similar to what Bernie Sanders was saying. It's like we'll have the social movement that will push forward our agenda, even if Congress is trying to stop us. Right. So, um, you know, so like that's that's sort of like what that idea, you know, would would be. What Gindin and, and Panitch are saying is that Syriza actually severed that connection so that they couldn't ride that wave if they wanted to. Right. At that point, they are separate. They are almost separate institutions, um, and that's that's a really a really really critical uh, point to understand when we're talking about the party question, right? Uh, because in the U.S., because we do have such a political poverty in this country, where there is not even a, a party that like you know pretends really to be like the Labor Party or the left wing party or the Workers Party or God forbid a Socialist Party, right? On a serious national level, um, we sometimes think that what we have to have like that um that just having the party is going to solve a lot of these problems what i'm trying to dig into with panich and ginnan's work and also looking at the history of of socialist movements around the globe um is to help people understand that it's actually much deeper than just having that party apparatus at the very top right like we need much more uh development and i'm not and, and sometimes people get mad at me when i say things like this i'm not talking about time like people keep like i don't i, I have the same reaction as you do to people who say in 50 years maybe we'll have a strong socialist movement i, I like i have no i have i don't have the patience uh, to sit around and, and wait for that when i when i mean work i mean there's just a lot of like very committed uh, and pointed work uh that needs to be done to be able to build an apparatus that could benefit um from having the party because the point is like you get the party right this is like even one of the problems with the movement for the the people's party right now um is this that same kind of fantasy that like the, it's the absence of of the party itself um you know on the national on the ticket level like that there's just not enough socialist or working working parties on the ballot um when like the real the real uh, analysis needs to be much deeper than that it's 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 that as a part of it but that poverty comes out of the fact that we don't have a very uh you know strong working class uh concentrated movement in the united states right now we're building it we have to build it if we want to have a future we have to build it i'm not saying that's not possible i'm saying we don't have that now so we actually have to do that committed work of building it and a lot of organizations are trying to do that um so when you bring up the party question you have to put it through that kind of um that kind of analysis and let me see i want to get to some of y'all's questions because i went on rant i'm coming back to this um to this uh in the stream for sure I'll, I'll just sort of weave this in and out uh because i have a lot more to go on uh here um yeah and, and soon 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 sorry if i got your name wrong says not in our lifetime it's like you know yeah i don't like that argument that idea that we won't have social like i i think i love the old school slogan i can't remember where it comes from uh, but it's like you know communism socialism in our lifetime right that's something that's that's very powerful to me i i always say that i think that you know uh, socialism is an extremely optimistic philosophy and i'm an optimist i think we can build it um patrick uh stevens thank you so much for the super chat says uh, shouldn't bernie be pushing for 2k per month instead of capitulating to biden's meager one time 1400 yeah i mean it's been it's been sad it's been sad to see um, I'm not going to, you know, just because I'm going to be critical of Bernie on, on this and also it's something else I'm going to bring up in a second, uh, you know, doesn't mean that I don't have tremendous love for him. I think he's a very smart, uh, politician. He's done a tremendous amount of, of work in building socialist consciousness in the U S. Um, and I'll, I'll get to the second point of like, cause sometimes people are like, Oh, how, if Bernie, if Bernie isn't really like that left. I want people to start thinking about politics in a very different way to start so that they stop saying things like, oh, this politician isn't that that left, um, particularly talking about like Bernie Sanders and other folks. Um, it's like, yeah, I think it's very true that Bernie Sanders, for example, isn't a Leninist. Um, but this kind of 
scale way of thinking of politics I don't think is helpful, but I'll get to that that later. I think Bernie Sanders uh, should definitely be pushing uh, for 2K. I think it's been really disappointing, honestly, um, even though we have seen you know members of, of the squad pushing for not just 2K, but the monthly 2K. Um, it's been frustrating that this hasn't been what's been floated to the top of, of their struggle and their, their media presence lately. Um, you know, I understand all these other things that are going on in folks' lives, but this is, I think, one of the most uh, critical issues, or at least direct ones that we have. And it's disgusting to see the way the Democratic Party is getting away with this. Um, yeah, let me see. Yeah, um, Sam Jones says, when people say we're not going to get Medicare for all for at least 30 years, well, not with that attitude, you ain't. And I think that's exactly right. Um Mm. Let me see. I want to get back to these, uh, to this, the panic and the Guinness stuff, and also the question of like, we need a party, but what's next? But let me make sure I'm getting to some of these questions. Um, I mean, you know, uh, how do, uh, trending now network says uh, how to re rejuvenate the labor movement and create a new political apparatus. I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the question. Um, you know, in general, and I'll, I'll get to some of that in a second. Um, yeah, I, I, I would agree um, with Jono's. Like, I don't think that the somebody asked is like the problem with the United States is the labor aristocracy. I, I, I haven't found, I don't find that to be particularly convincing. Uh, that, that's a thesis, you know, from Lenin that basically there is a part of the, the top of the working class that essentially can be bribed out of thinking of itself um, as members of the working class. I think it's much deeper in the U.S. I think that most most people actually do understand uh, their class uh, class position uh, and they're not so much being bribed. It's just like there's no vehicle um, to really think of yourself as a, as a political subject in that way. And in the United States, every single political question gets mediated through culture. People think about politics as a cultural expression. And frankly, even people who are on the socialist left uh, do this as well, right? You know, being a socialist is, is being young and 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 edgy, and and you know, there's that whole kind of cultural aspect of it. And like, look, if you're if you're a young person who like is part of like a, a major subculture in the United States, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but the problem is when that elevates itself to a point like that's how people are thinking of themselves as political subjects. It's like, okay, I have to go and you know, you know, meme against the the boomers or whatever. Um, you know, that's like my cultural expression as well as my political expression. I don't find that to be extremely, extremely, um, you know, again, it's like, there's nothing wrong with it in and of itself, but it's just like, it's proof of, well, there is something wrong with it, but not you or like people individually, uh, doing that. It's just like, that is like the U S the way that we do politics in this country. It's the same reason that the right wingers like to own the libs is the same reason, um, that, you know, the Trump supporters act in the way that they do because it's culture at the end of the day for most people. That's how they think about, you know, engaging in politics because political solutions have been so hollowed out. Right. I mean, what are we seeing right now with, uh, with Biden, in in office is they are immediately watering down these checks that they explicitly ran on um despite you know these just hu stupid humming uh titles we're getting in the new york times like oh did you did you expect that joe biden would be a revolutionary in office i don't understand where that comes from um Right, essentially, what we're getting from Biden is continuation in a lot of ways of Republican uh, governance and the fact that they're already trying to walk down, water down and walk back uh, these these checks, um, you know, and they're going to target them until they essentially just become either so, so tedious to implement um, that people aren't going to get help for a long time or, um, you know. They just get watered down so that they, they don't really reach that many people. And I'll tell you who the number one uh, lobbyists against these checks are, by the way. It's the restaurant industry. It's Amazon. It's Walmart. Um, it's low-wage employers because they don't want to have a system where people uh, <laughs> aren't as dependent on them for their means or their survival. That's a thing. That's something that they fear deeply. 
Um, and, and they want to make sure that they, that people don't start thinking, oh, wow, the government can provide, uh, me with some of the things that are necessary to survive. Right. Um, they're very much afraid of, of that, of, of that reality. And they have the ear of Biden. They have the ear of most Congress people. Bernie, um, on this one, I think he's trying to, you know, to play ball. And I think it's, it's the wrong time, uh, you know, to do it, unfortunately, but everyone's already changed the channel. I mean, most people have changed the channel on this, so it's a difficult, it's a really difficult political moment. Um, Rx says, uh, isn't this a testament to how bought into this neoliberal ideology we are? Um, oh, sweet. Uh, I'm going to get to this super chat in a second uh, from Kowalski. How's it going, brother? Um, but let me just respond to this really quick. Isn't this a testament to how bought into this neoliberal ideology we are? The PMC have no reason to fight against it. Yes, that's ideology. Uh, what we're talking about, the fact that most people think about politics only as like a cultural expression, right? And they don't think of it as like a, they don't think about it as a way to improve their lives. They think of it as a way to express themselves. Um, and then in certain variants, especially the, um, the kind of more, I don't know, Trumpist uh, Republican one. Uh, it's it's a way to to own, um, you know. From talking about more working class people, I'm not obviously talking about the rich people who get just insane uh, and you know in incredible material benefits from the Trump administration. Um, but for the you know for the working class folks um, who again like I think it's important not to overstate it. I, I've been making the point, for example, on the Capitol Hill protests. Um, that a lot of folks have a difficult time recognizing rich people who aren't from like the the you know New York or LA, um, but I've been I've been a little bit more convinced too that even that kind of like upper upper class not upper class but like you know hundred thousand a dollar a year uh, income you know fabricator or you know somebody who runs a pool cleaning or whatever you know like people who you know, or trades workers or whatever, but they, they make a higher salary. Um, Matt Chrisman's streams. I actually think I've been really good on this uh, question is just sort of saying it's like those gut people are, yes, they're much more well-off than most working people in the country, but what they're seeing is, is, is monopoly capitalism uh, surrounding them as well. And they're just reacting to it. And it's in, it's a, it's a right wing uh, reaction. I'm not, I'm not uh, supporting it. But what I am trying to say is, okay, let's recognize um, that, you know, people are feeling squeezed right now because like neoliberal monopoly capital is coming for everyone. Um, and, and to understand that, I think, uh, more, more potently is going to be really important for the left instead of just sort of having, you know, pleasure and watching, you know, because as I said on, on the first stream, it's like these people have been my boss my whole life, uh, which is very true, right? These are people who run like, you know, fancy restaurant services, or I used to work concrete, um, uh, you know, pouring concrete, things like that. Like, yeah, I've worked for these people, you know, my whole life and I have a lot of uh, animosity towards them. Um, but, you know, um, I don't know. They're they're being squeezed. They're being squeezed too, and it's just an interesting development. Uh, I think it's worthwhile paying attention to that. Um, uh, Kowalski says, uh, uh, "I'm going to a state GOP agenda meeting in two weeks as a voting member to set a yearly agenda. I'm hoping to head off some statewide agendas to get cities the freedom to do reform." Um, that sounds great. I mean, that's exactly the kind of, and you know, Kowalski's from Nebraska. That's, uh, you know, that's the kind of good work that we should be doing. Um, I, I really like that. I really like that a lot. Um, hell yeah. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. You know, the Capitol Hill people for the most part, we're financially okay. I think that's, I think that's exactly, you know, that's, that's fine to, to say, but what people, what we are seeing, um, is an expansion of of capital um somebody else says that matt chrisman really nailed it i think i think yeah no i think he's really good um hey uh, no 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 i'm not going to do too much free advertising for the guy um but no matt chrisman uh from chapo his uh his uh his <laughs> his streams have been really good um but okay so that person makes the point about people are doing financially okay here's something that people really need to understand and uh you know 
feel free to jump in with more questions and super chats, but I think I'm going to get back a little bit uh, into this Panitch stuff here uh, because this is a really important point. And this is a point that Panitch and Kinden uh, made in their book responding uh, to the financial crisis. So this is about, about a decade ago. There is this push on the left, particularly amongst the Marxist left, to say things like late capitalism, right? Which is an extremely optimistic uh, phrase, right? Um, because um, because what you know what does what does late capitalism imply, right? Is the end. <laughs> and I, I like, I mean, that'd be great if that's the end, if we're facing the end of capitalism, um, for sure. But I don't know why you think that we're in a we're in late stage capitalism. What do I mean by that? There are some issues on the global scale um, on the rate of profit. Uh, I really want to try to get Aaron Beninoff uh, on the show soon. He's written really good works in the New Left Review and also his recent book, uh, Automation in the Future of Work, uh, where he basically pushes back against the automation theorists who argue um, who argue that... Uh, um, you know, that the computers, the you know, machines are taking your jobs, and that's why we're facing this kind of global collapse um, in in conditions for working people. Uh, and Beninoff, I think, actually shows quite convincingly um, that it's actually just a much older problem of capitalism, uh, which is, you know, falling rate of profit um, and, and just a really low rate of profitability that the only ways to really make money are by cannibalizing already existing in uh, industry. Um and he argues that it's like it's not even tapping into um, you know new labor markets uh, because like even in China we're seeing right now massive deindustrialization across Southeast Asia we're seeing massive uh, deindustrialization. The point is is that the growth mechanism of capitalism that was so so successful um, in the fifties, sixties, and seventies, um, which is essentially you know manufacturing capital, um, just has lost its its you know has lost its speed and we haven't found a new growth model uh, that works well right but anyways Panish and Gindin make this really interesting point where people say okay the 50s and 60s were the golden age of capitalism obviously a million problems were socialist like we we don't think that system was a good system um, but you know that was when you know the idea that you know the American dream white picket fence you go you work you know 40 hours at the factory and you can support a small family and buy a car and go on vacation right that system has collapsed. Um, so for a lot of people, they use this term late capitalism or have this idea that, you know, that capitalism is not functionally functioning uh, correctly anymore. Um, but what Panish and Kidd make is a very provocative thesis um, that in fact, capital uh, is much stronger today than it has ever been in the sense that like the, the wealthy get more than they've ever wanted uh, from the government and from society and obviously in the amount of uh, wealth that they hold, right? So like the profit mechanism might be broken, right? Which means that the system doesn't function uh, for most folks. But for the people at the top, this system has never worked better and they have never had a stronger stranglehold over the state apparatus as they do today. Um, and and Panis in particular is very much uh, critical of, of, of Lenin on this question, uh, where Lenin... Um, you know, essentially was arguing that capitalism had developed to such an extent um, in the Western powers that it needed imperialism uh, to pursue profit, um, right? That's Lenin's famous theory of imperialism. And there's a lot of truth um, to like the idea of imperialism and Lenin's not completely off, but Lenin does make the mistake to think that capital uh, had developed to such a high point uh, within, within nations in 1917. Right, uh, because we ended up seeing a hundred years of of just continued uh, development. And Panish always makes the point: it's like you can't say um, that the United States, uh, for example, was already uh, you know saturated because California and hell Texas, right, and a lot of these other parts of the country really just had not even gone through proper primitive accumulation, right? Um, so we weren't in, even in that late stage then. And he, the Panish, argues that we're not even in that that stage completely uh, now, uh, which means that we have to change our calculus. Like we can't just wait for the collapse. Um, the financial system is incredibly uh, weak. Um, it wouldn't it's not even weak is like is, is variable and, and is prone to crisis. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you know, 
the billionaires and, and the people at the very top, the Musks, um, as has been shown by this crisis, are very well situated that they can withstand even severe financial crises and global pandemics, right? Um, so we can't sit around and, and wait for the system to just collapse on itself. We're going to have to do some work there. Um, thanks so much for the for the super chat, CT Dennis. Um, as 1977, building a new party is even more of an obstacle uh, with uh, self-interested pseudo-leftists like Dora and Branna pissing into the pool. Yeah, I, you know. I, I know of Branna. I don't you know much uh, about him other than a little bit of his history, but, uh, you know, I think Doors, yeah, you know, we all know what we think about Door. Um, okay. So that, that's the kind of question of, of, of late capitalism. Um, I went through, I went through Syriza and sort of the, the question, the question there, um, so let's look at what happened with with Bernie and uh, and um, and Corbyn, right? Two very very different uh, situations because the Labour Party is much closer. Not it, it's been extremely hollowed out, but historically, uh, the Labour Party in the United Kingdom is much closer to a workers' party um, than the Democratic Party ever will be or ever has. Um, and what I mean there is not just. Um, Somebody asked the book. I'll, I'll just say it again. Uh, the book by Gindin and uh, and uh, Panich, uh, who for people who aren't familiar, we've been trying to do a lot of stuff uh, on Leo Panich. Uh, he he unfortunately very recently passed away. Um, an incredible mind and just a real fighter. Um, uh, he was also and he was the teacher of so many of our of our friends uh, in in the U.S. left and across the across the across the globe. And his 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 contributions are just very worthwhile engaging with uh, because he, he's probably one of the more serious uh, political theorists that we had. Um, he was uh, Adam Proctor's uh, instructor and so many other people um, as well. He influenced so many different, uh, so many different lives. But anyways, the book uh, that I'm working off of today and talking about is the socialist challenge today, which is a very interesting book um, by, uh, uh, by Panish and Gindin, you know, and like, <laughs> I don't think we're uh, someone asked if we're affiliated with Comcast. I don't, I don't think so. Um, I hope not. Um, um, yeah, anyways, the the book, the Socialist Challenge today, is is a really really interesting book, and I'm telling you, you can read it in an afternoon. Eric Blanc, um, who's a writer for Jacobin, who's written some really interesting pieces, also has a good um, summary of, of the book called "Why the Left Keeps Losing and How We Can Win." Um, and uh, that, which is a pretty good review. So if you can't uh, do the, you know, the longer, the longer book, but I'm telling you, it's only hundred pages. His, um, his, uh, his book is, uh, I'm sorry, his review is really good. Um, let me make sure I'm getting something right. Um, okay. Yeah. So let's see. Um. So yeah, let's talk a little bit about uh, about Comrade uh, Bernie and uh, and Corbin. Sort of w some of the lessons we have from them when we're talking about the uh, the question of building an actual workers' party. Um, you know, I'm I'm a big defender of Bernie Sanders. Um, I, I think that making the point and getting people to think very differently. Um, All right, I'm not familiar. Um, this is Iceland, uh, man. I'm in Reshajak Rhizome. Just a Deleuze uh, reference. Uh, free Russell Marin Schantz and all political prisoners from the Black and Indigenous Liberation Movements, a Maroon Party for Liberation. Uh, not familiar with uh, with any of that. I oh, will check that out. Um, appreciate the appreciate the the plug though. I hope. It's good stuff. I'm sure it is. Um, yeah. So let, let's see. I got my, uh, I got all mixed up from that. Um, appreciate the super chat though, for sure. All right. Let's get back to this. All right. So Bernie Sanders. Yeah, man, beating around the bush. This is something that everyone is going to be interested in. Bernie Sanders, 
<laughs> changed the American left. No doubt about it, right? Um, again, yeah, thanks so much for the super chat. Bernie Sanders uh, changes the American left. He not only, you know, ran an incredible campaign, uh, you know, especially especially in 2016, that I think actually really upended um, the trajectory that the U.S. was going in. Uh, I mean, I may mention it all the time. I'm, I'm, I remember being a socialist even back then and it being a little bit of a, you know, a little secret. Um, and it's amazing now to sit here six years later and to see how much has, has shifted. Um, right. So I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of, of Bernie Sanders. I think what he's done has been absolutely incredible. And I think, I think that's right. He revived it. He, he very much not only revived the socialist movement, but actually gave it a kind of language and a grounding that it was missing. There was a lot that was coming out of the teachers protests, um, you know, in Wisconsin, I mean, people forget that that was, that was huge, um, as well as Occupy. Uh, but Bernie really brought that movement uh, as to steal a, a phrase again for Panich. Um, he brought it from Paul uh, for protest to politics, which is, was a really important shift um, because we had years and years and years on the U S left of, of politics, uh, you know, of, of protests, these ideas that we were going to change the state from without, it, right. We'll, we never need to hold state power uh, to, you know, to build power, which is honestly an absurd notion in his face. Um, so we saw that, that shift with Bernie, um, and I'm very grateful for that. And we, we saw that shift as well with Corbin, but the Corbin project was very different from the Bernie Sanders project. Um, not just because they're different countries with different contexts, but because the labor party is a fundamentally different organization. You know, it's notable that Bernie Sanders never joined the democratic party, but his role, um, in bringing so many people into thinking about socialist politics as having to engage with the democratic party, I think is an issue. Um, and I'm not one of, I think you use these machines as well as you can, um, right? And if it gives us ballot access, it's extremely worthwhile. But I think that we are, you know, a little bit lost um, because we're just not going to get it from, from Bernie. Bernie's not going to go on CNN tomorrow and announce a new political formation. It's unfortunate. Um, you know, he hasn't even really done that uh, with trying to improve membership in the DSA. And that's an issue. Why is it an issue? Um, sure, there's some very obvious reasons, but one of the first and foremost is this, uh, um, you know, one of the biggest issues is this we can't have to rebuild our social coalitions or political coalitions with each opportunity. The Bernie Sanders one, uh, you know, offered a very exciting opportunity to get into the White House, but now we're in the situation, right, where, you know, without another Bernie Sanders run, which I, you know, it's just not going to happen, right? Um, there is a kind of loss for energy. And that's, I think there's no doubt about it. Uh, why we have seen such a inward turn uh, to the kind of Bernie left uh, lately um, has been, you know, has been because people are feeling that they don't have that kind of political project that they can lean into. Um, I, I think that's one of the things that's so difficult, uh, honestly, with the Bernie legacy is that it didn't get transferred over into something more viable than you know our revolution which we you know it's you know it's great the kind of work that you're able to do with that organization but it's not it's not uh you know full enough to what we need um and you know we're seeing that work coming from the dsa but the fact that we didn't have that kind of movement um from uh you know bernie bringing people into it you know he's not even affiliated with it that's that's an issue um and to to steal another really good line um from the gindid panish book um this is what happens when you have a movement, which the American left movement right now is really struggling with this situation, um, is that it's a movement that's class focused, but not class rooted. And that's a really important distinction. Bernie Sanders having a class focused campaign changed the game. It was absolutely needed. It's not even a criticism. It's just like, you know, we're using analytical tools to be able to name these kind of movements and what they are, right? A class-focused movement um, is what we had with, with Bernie Sanders. 
and what happened with Syriza, right? So, you know, we were talking about earlier what happened with Syriza, where you have this massive movement that puts the work, the left party into power, but it had severed its connections with the working people, right? So you had a movement that was class focused, but it wasn't rooted enough to be able to use the actual power of that. It's our disadvantage and our advantage is the fact that socialist and socialist politics aspires to much more than to just holding the offices of power, right? Socialist politics is fundamentally about changing, um, you know, the world and improving the lives of, of working people, right? That's a disadvantage uh, because you have to deliver, um, but there is also the advantage because it means that you have power and organizational capacities. Um, that are much deeper um, than like the Republican Party or the Democratic Party ever will have, right? Because even the idea that you could use popular mobilization uh, to wage war against the, the ruling class, both inside and outside the state, um, simultaneously is unique um, for the most part uh, to the socialist movement. But what happened, for example, with Syriza is you had that severance uh, between the class and, and the party. Um, and in, in a lot of ways, it wasn't even developed. And in the areas it was developed, they basically ran away from it when they came into power, right? I talked about this earlier in the stream, if you're not familiar. Um, and the Bernie Sanders campaign was class, uh, was, was, um, was class focused as well. But it wasn't rooted in the sense that, like, it came and spoke to working people all across the country, um, but it didn't come out of like organic social organizations. Um, you know, it didn't form local councils. It didn't form local community groups that have that kind of really um, intense uh, saturation into working class communities, right? And that is is a problem for us going forward because now trying to redirect that energy into a kind of political movement. Um, is going to be extremely difficult. Um, the nice thing is the groundwork is there and the idea is there. So this is the time to do it, um, but it's just not being given to us. Um, Jacob says, myself and so many Canadian friends of mine were politically awakened by Bernie. So he not only filled a vacuum in the United States, but also outside of it. And I, uh, that's exactly right. And that's what happened with that kind of class-focused politics. And it was really important. I'm like, I don't want people to take the wrong lesson from this way. I'm not like, I'm being critical, you know, in the constructive sense, but I'm not sitting here like, oh, Bernie Sanders, you know, he was bad, blah, blah. That's, that, that's a ridiculous way to view this these past few years. Um what I'm trying to say is like, okay, we had that class focus moment, which really changed the game, uh, really changed the way that working people think about politics. It changed the way a lot of people who are just sort of floating around the working class now consider themselves to be working class. That is something that we should not turn our noses at, right? Um, what I'm saying though is like, okay, we have that class focus movement and now that actually needs to become class rooted. Um, and, and, and to do that, you need social organizations and you need to start thinking about, uh, parties, um, differently. And I think I'm going to get to that in, in just a second. I think that's sort of like the last bit to give us some food for thought. I, you know, maybe it was a little ambitious of me thinking I was going to be able to get through all of this in a stream. I might just have to do another one next week and pick off where we laid out. But, uh, Patrick Stevens, uh, thanks again, man. Uh, says Ackerman's piece in Jackman lays bare the challenges with third party in essence, how in, AZ Libertarian Party picked up steam in mid 20 teens, and our controlled legislatures increased number of signatures needed from 125 uh, to over 3,000. Yeah, there are some. Um, uh, there are, you know, there are some issues with the third party, and I think that 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 question I'm going to have to get to in in another stream because it's it's really deep, but. Uh, what I will, how I will address that is by talking about how we think about political parties, because you really need to understand what they are and what their potential is. Um, and honestly, I'll, I'll start to lay that groundwork out in opposition, maybe even to like the movement for a people's party, uh, which I think has a, a definition or understanding of party, which is very different from the kind of socialist one that we need. And this is, by the way, is going to be uh, one of the major themes of, of the show for the next couple of weeks. On Thursday, Matt and I's opening bit is going to be about comparing Moss uh, 
uh, the movement for socialism in Bolivia, uh, to Syriza, particularly noting the rooted versus focused aspects of it. Because what did Moss do? Moss survived a U.S. Uh, back coup. Right. It wasn't pretty, you know, and obviously they weren't able to do it in the way that they might have wanted to. But the reason that they were able to survive was because they actually had that class base that was able to survive even this kind of offensive uh, from from capital in the United States and the forces of imperialism. A comrade. Uh, Miles says uh, from This Is Revolution podcast, which y'all should definitely be checking out, uh, says I recently spoke spoke with Mike Davis and he said that was one of the failures of the Sanders campaign. It wasn't tied to any actual workers' movements. Yeah. And, you know, that was, uh, you know, one of the, um, uh, one of the, uh, you know, yeah, that Mike Davis is 100% also somebody whose work you should definitely be checking out. Um, that's exactly, you know, that's exactly one of the, the tensions there. Um, that we saw with the Bernie Sanders, uh, that we saw with the Bernie Sanders movement, and he says, "Has David mentioned Green Party PSL at all?" You know, I haven't, um, because I'm not. I, I'm, when I'm talking about the political party, I'm actually wanting to talk about something very different uh, from even electoral strategy right now, uh, which I think we can definitely get to later. I think that's going to be the next, um, the the next one, the next dive into this is the electoral strategy. But I really want to start getting this uh, concept of and and our, our comment from Iceland. Uh, said he sent me a PM. All right, uh, looking forward to that. You know, Twitter is usually the best way to get to me. I don't know where you're sending that to, but I will keep my eye out uh, on the Facebook page. Okay, cool. I'll check that out. Um, <laughs> all right, I got a couple good uh, fun questions here, and then I'll get to the way we should start thinking about the the party, uh, which I think will start helping people conceptualize this because it's really important uh but billy big bricks uh, says joe biden versus chuck grassley one-on-one a basketball up to 21 street ball rules who you got man i'll tell you uh i've i've, I've seen chuck uh, grassley in person a couple of times when i worked in in washington dc and uh i don't know that guy's a sneaky devil um i think i i'm gonna have to go grassley right um i mean obviously biden is more spry but I think grass has got the sleeper. I mean, and also those guys, what he's from Iowa, um, you know, those kind of Midwestern states, they, they have good, they have good jumpers out there. They know how to play basketball. They know how to ball a lot better than Scranton or Delaware. I got to say. So just on, on that level, I'm picking that. Um, new party versus fixing Dems is a false dichotomy. Their options after we've built, this is another super chat. Thank you so much from York. This uh, is, New party versus fixing Dems is a false dichotomy. Their options after we've built the ground, stacked the house with cadres, and rebuilt unionism. The last part I agree with, but I'm going to tell you right now. And I, I think I think probably if, if we were in conversation, uh, the spirit uh, we probably share. Um, but uh, the uh, um, the Democratic Party is not going to get fixed. I'm, I'm just going to tell you all that right now, and I'll get to why in a second, because the way you think about the party is really important to understand why this is not going to happen. But we are not going to fix the Democratic Party, and that's one of the difficulties of the Bernie movement is it's gotten a lot of people to think about that as like the solution, right? It's not a working party because it's not a political party. Um, not just like it's not even just like the attitudes of the Democratic Party. It's the way that it's organized. Um, a political party, a socialist political party, it's just a completely different beast. Uh, so to compare the two is wrong. Um, you know, the thing about those two is similar, but I think what you're getting at is something very similar to what, uh, you know, I'm trying to get at is that like that level is just, it's just so, it's not even that it's far ahead. It's just like, it's, it's, it's making a serious strategic blunder. As I was saying earlier to think that you're just going to create the party and the people will come. As you said, in the last bit, we have to build the groundwork stack the house with cadres and rebuild unionism right that's what that's the kind of things that will need to be happening um parallel with building a new political party if that's the route that we go but even a political party i think for most people they they think about it in such a different way i'm talking about a membership organization um that engages not just in politics in the electoral sense um but in the sense of movements that are outside 
of of the state. Uh, a great example of this is um, what we were talking about with Syriza earlier, where you have this radical push within the Syriza government in Greece, right? And Syriza, for people who came in late, was the left movement that came into power in Greece that ended up capitulating to capital um, and the European Union. Um, you have the education minister who wants to start using the schools, the high schools around town, um, around the country, sorry. <laughs> Greece sound like it's like a suburb, um, you know, around Greece, want to start using the schools as social hubs for workers, right? So workers can build cultural and social and political movements to basically use those schools, um, you know, as council centers, as worker centers, right? That's a radical thing. That's something that should be, you know, that would be a positive, for example, if they were to be able to do that in Greece or in the United States. What happened? Um, they weren't able to do that. Um, even though the education minister was trying to promote it, uh, because there was no line from the government to the base. There was no line from the government to the people in that sense, because it had been severed, because the party became a, a managing party, essentially, and it started operating as most other political parties do, with a very serious degree of separation between the people and the party, right? A political party, a socialist political party, would never have that kind of severance, right? That would be something that they'd be able to implement almost immediately. Because you have to think about the political party, not in the U.S. sense of like, okay, this is the group that, you know, this is the box of like political perspectives that I'm checking, um, you know, and, and those are my political preferences, right? You need to understand, a political party is just like the most advanced social organization for class, Right. So like a socialist party in its truest sense would be an extension of uh, what you're saying uh, as the union movement. Right. A political party, a socialist political party, what its goal is and what it has to do is to actually be like essentially like the union of the working class. Right. The political organ of the working class, the organization of the working class. That's what I mean by building a party. Right. So, yes, that means registering as a political party and participating in all those kind of activities. But it actually is so much deeper, um, so much deeper than that. And like if you miss that, that level, um, you're, you're just you're at the end of the day, you're not doing socialist politics. You're at at best doing social democratic politics um, and at worst, you know, um, well, either if you're if you're actually earnest of being a left wing movement, uh, will come into power and 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 will fail, right? And we just we just don't have the time, um, we don't have the time uh, to do that again. Um, <clears throat> all right, all right. Chat's getting fun, uh, so let me answer some of the fun questions, and then uh, I think I might hop off and. Uh, I'll do this next week, and we'll start to talk about that, how to develop to that next level. I hope this was uh, was useful and interesting to you. Um, well, we got some football talk coming up. Um, but first, uh, uh, Kowalski asks, my mom is from Beaumont. Um, you know, where are you from? I'm from I'm from Austin, Texas. Uh, yeah, I was born in St. David's Hospital. Um, very very happy, man. I'm uh, I'm on my last. Uh, you know, for folks who don't know, I'm uh, I'm moving moving back in the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, so I'm pretty pretty stoked. All right, there's some bets about who I got from for the Super Bowl. Um, who's your Super Bowl picks? Oh, I'll tell you all right now. Uh, I'm 100% KC. Uh, the Brady the Brady narrative was very funny. It's like an Ocean's Eleven movie, right? You get all the old guys back for one last one last spin, one last uh, one last chance at the dance. Uh, it was fun, but I can't I can't. I can't support the Brady stuff anymore. Honestly, what really flipped me with that uh, was watching the Saints uh, game. I felt I felt, I was really gutted. I like I know Drew Brees is a psycho, um, uh, you know, absolute religious psycho and like a, a wacko. Uh, but I will say, you know, he is from he is from Austin. Um, so I've always had a bit of love for him, but man, watching him walk out was really actually was really hard, and it made me so mad to think that Brady. Um, you know, was a beneficiary of that. So I had a big flip over that. And honestly, man, Patrick Mahomes is the Patrick Mahomes is the uh uh you know, he's the future. I'm pretty I'm, I'm looking forward to uh you know to what he has to do. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go for uh for Mahomes there. Um sorry y'all. <laughs> 
Um, I can't, I can't, I can't support the Bucks. Though, I mean, I will say, as one drug to another, I've always loved the head coach of of the Buccaneers. Uh, just getting in trouble for drinking vodka and stuff in the parking lot. If people haven't, <laughs> um, if people haven't had, had that, actually, you know, somebody somebody hit this up, and this is so true. Aren't most athletes uh, religious psychos? And I have a little bit of a bit on this, right? Yeah, no shit. Like, wouldn't you be a religious cycle? Like, what's the what's the Bible verse that all athletes love? Like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me or whatever it is, right? And every athlete, like I was a I was a big high school athlete as well. And like every athlete has as like their Twitter, Facebook bio, right? Like, this is about me, right? But sooner or later, you you know, you start to lose and you realize a lot of people are faster and better than you, and maybe God didn't uh, you know select you. But if you are one of these guys who at every challenge at your life is just like you're so much of a physical specimen that you are better than everybody else like no shit these people believe in god like how could you not right like if like if you are just a champion if your whole life is just like winning and winning and winning and winning of course you're going to believe that god has chosen you to do this honestly like it like it's not confusing at all to me uh that all these guys are just like big time uh religious nut jobs um yeah, Trevor Lawrence is a super Christian. I mean, yeah, but that guy, that guy didn't even have a choice. You can't be from or you from like North Georgia. <laughs> um, and uh, and uh, you know, just like a stellar quarterback. Like I'm telling you, you're gonna believe in God. I'd believe in God, man, if I was in that situation. Um oh wow. Our boy at this revolution podcast is pushing the, the Brady line. Uh no, man. Mahomes is I, I actually I love the idea of of Mahomes just destroying uh Tom Brady this weekend. It'd be a uh um it'd be a really good time to see that just Brady just being put in his place. Um all right, as I can already see the the sports chat is uh is losing the listeners. Um <laughs> Yeah, I don't understand the online left's issue of sports. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Somebody had said in the chat, Stefan did. Um, Steven, sorry. Um, yeah, I don't know either. I mean, it's just like, you know, sort of being counterculture, which is fine. Um, but, you know, just I, I, like, I need sports, man. Honestly, like, it's stupid to say, but I don't feel as alive as I do when I'm watching, like, Texas, you know, come back uh, in a close game or something like that. Like, I need that kind of outlet in my life. And it's fun as hell. You get to drink beer and eat food. I don't understand that was problem with it. Football in particular. Um, but I'm looking to get back into to soccer, which was my which was my sport as a goalkeeper. Um, uh, Austin has a new MLS team, so I'm I'm looking forward to to seeing where they go with another guy who's a complete cycle too, who I just absolutely love, uh, Matthew McConaughey. Um, he's he's a real wacko, but just like another another kind of guy. It's like of course he's got this kind of insane attitude. Of course these guys like Matthew McConaughey. I was like, I mean, who cares? It's the end of the show. Uh, Matthew McConaughey is like, you know, his whole like shtick now is like pushing uh, like self-help stuff, which is so funny. You know, like all these celebrities, like they have a cause that like, they, they support, right? Like it's usually it's like something about, you know, helping helping folks out or a specific disease or something like that. Matthew McConaughey's nonprofit is just like, I got to talk to kids in schools and give them a pep talk, uh, <laughs> which I just think is absolutely insane. Um, and I know he's a, he's a Jordan Peterson, uh, guy too, but again, like, of course you would be if you're Matthew McConaughey, right? Like he was just a weirdo who started showing up at uh, Linklater, um, sets trying to, that's how he got, that's how he got cast and dazed and confused is he just started driving up every day. Like you got a part, you got a part. And then one day they gave it to him. So of course he's going to tell people, it's like, all you need to do in life is believe in yourself. Um, all right, let me see. Oh, you're going to um, – oh, I'm so sorry. I, I don't know basketball well enough. Um, Bill Big Breaks to to jump in. They asked me who the greatest NBA center of all time is. Who's the best uh, Who's the best center for y'all? I wish I knew. We got Steelers rep in the chat. I've been uh, – uh, my longtime uh, girlfriend is uh, from Pittsburgh, so I got I got Steelers family. Uh, that's my, my, my rule in uh, when I watch NFL games is I always just like – if I don't care if it doesn't affect me, if it helps the Steelers or would make uh, my, my girlfriend's family happy, I, I root for the Steelers. Um. <laughs> All right, y'all. All right, y'all. I think I got to go. This is fun, though. 
uh, we should do we should do more like uh, relaxed stuff too. It's it's nice to get a break. Does she say Yenz? Yeah, man. I gotta say the the Pittsburgh accent for people who aren't familiar uh, is something else. You definitely gotta you gotta check that out. Um, all right, y'all. Uh, see y'all on Thursday at eight. Uh, we're good. Guests are gonna be really cool. Sorry, I can't announce those right now, but um, we will also um, uh, um. Matt and I will be talking about Moss and Sarisa, the difference between being class rooted and class focused as they're open and bit, um, and doing a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of fun stuff too. Actually, like let me, what is it called? If you want to, if you want to get a little head start on the show, is um, damn, uh, we're going to be doing this Sam Giddon Panish book, uh, but Matt and I have been kicking this around for a little while. I think we did this once or twice on uh on um on tmbs but it's this this uh instagram account that matt and i are just obsessed with called upscale luxury like you want to talk about just insane uh you know like hustle and grind culture like this is it um guys this is gonna be too boomer if i bring up my phone in front of everybody um yeah it's like so they take these pictures of just like you know nice houses and it's stuff like this on the path to success, people will hate you for no reason. We certainly cannot please everybody, so why try? When you stay true to yourself and your passion, people that don't see your vision will talk and some may even hate. It's none of your business what others say about you because you know who you are. Just insane stuff for people who are just on the bottom rung of society that just gobble up uh, that the reason that the rich are, are better off than them is because uh, they have a better attitude. Uh, so Matt and I will do some stuff with that as well. Oh. All right, y'all. <laughs> I'll talk to you later. Take care, everybody. Uh, and, you know, I guess last plug: check out, uh, you know, check us out on Patreon at Left Reckoning if you're interested. In supporting us we'll be doing that in the post game coming up and i know matt's uh, recording some cool uh interviews right now i think as we speak so take care y'all bye